Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. podcast with Matthew Weiss, entrepreneur, movie producer, tremendous success story. First met him um, working with him directly on uh, a program they put together back when the Super Bowl was hosted uh, in New York uh, with the Super Bowl and Business Committee. And I had actually brought in guys like uh, Odell Beckham, which at the time we didn't know would be the celebrity that he would become, the star he'd become. Uh, Mike Tannebaum, uh, who's who's the executive vice president of the Miami Dolphins. We had Steiner Sports there. We I know Plaxico Burris was there. Um, we had a, a huge mix of, of stars that talked about their different fields. Uh, and, and and most recently, his documentary, which demanded red bandana, uh, about the story of 9/11 and Wells Crowther, um, and which hit uh, home with me as someone who was doing business with uh, people at the top floor of that level and part changed my life to really become a full-fledged entrepreneur, uh, really post 9-11 and uh, working with Cantor Fitzgerald for all those years uh, as one of my main clients uh, as a rainmaker at the time for a technology firm as a young man. So without further ado, I want to bring on Matthew Weiss as our very special guest. Matthew, what's going on? Hey David, how are you? How do, can you hear me okay? I can hear you wonderfully, absolutely wonderfully. Um, Great. Uh, today, today's a beautiful day in, in, in the New York area. Well, um, I'm I'm down in Florida, so I wouldn't know that, but Florida's pretty <laughs> nice. Very, very good. I, I've given everyone the background uh, a little bit of how we know each other, and obviously from entrepreneur from EO, uh, we got familiar with working with each other on, on, on your project with with the Super Bowl. Um, but I wanted to talk, our Successful Life podcast really helps people understand about entrepreneurs, people who have become successful, uh, and, and, and obviously you've become successful in multiple areas, uh, but always with that un- entrepreneurship underlying. Um, before going further, I wanted to let you just kind of give people uh, your background as an entrepreneur. Sure. Um, so my training is, is, is by, by trade as an attorney. I went to law school, graduated, and was going to go and get an MBA, and actually took the GMAT, was ready to 
go to business school and got offered a great job working at the New York State Court of Appeals, which is an appellate court in Albany, which has, is the highest court in New York State. And it was just a great opportunity. And even though I wanted to do business, I couldn't pass it down. So I did that for two years. And then when I finished that, again, I took the GMAT, so was ready to go to business school, and got a job with a 300-person law firm offering all kinds of money. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll try that for two years. After two years of that, I realized that I needed to go out on my own and have something that I could build from, from scratch because these big firms, I felt, unless you were the three percentile, they were going to use you for six, seven, eight years, spit you out, and replace you with someone younger. So at that point, I opened up my own law firm in Manhattan with a law school friend of mine. And I can tell you, even though it was a small little office that was the size of a closet, I was elated, literally on cloud nine, to be the one calling the shots, to be the one running the business, and not having to deal with politics or answering to other people, but doing what my heart told me to do was best for, for, for my business. And through the years, you know, we did general practice in uh, real estate, commercial litigation, commercial transactions, personal injury, criminal, some traffic ticket work. And through the years, I realized that I needed to figure out what phrase or word could I own in my industry. And it turned out that the word traffic ticket or phrase traffic ticket was what I decided to own. So through the years, I've built up this practice that focuses on moving violations. Anyone who gets a ticket, does anything wrong behind the wheel, such as drinking and driving, driving with a suspended license, reckless driving, failure to signal, anything bad you do behind the wheel, we can help you. And we built that firm up so that we have 6,000 tickets a year we handle throughout New York State from the Hamptons all the way to Buffalo. And because we have this narrow niche focus, people know us and, it's, and our name is synonymous with traffic tickets. And it allows us to market that. It allows us to uh, promote ourselves that way. And we just built it and built it in such that as I mentioned at the beginning, I now live in Florida, even though I run a New York law firm that's based in Manhattan, because the business continues to run, and my role is to oversee things that I can do remotely uh, by email and phone, and I'll visit the office from time to time, but most of the work that I can do, I can do anywhere, so why not do it in the tropics with beautiful weather, you know, 12 months a year? Brilliant. And what the entrepreneurship gave you was that that freedom, I guess, to be able to live, do business, and be successful wherever it is that you want to be. Um, what what made you what made you choose traffic? Other than that, New York has a tremendous amount of, of definitely traffic violations. I'm sure that I've been a victim on several occasions uh, of uh, something either speeding ticket or parking in the wrong place. Uh, what what was it that attracted you to the niche of being a traffic lawyer? So a few things. And um, the, the primary one is that most lawyers don't want to handle traffic tickets. They think it's beneath them. They think it's too small a matter. And they went to law school for three years, and their ego says, I shouldn't be doing something like that. And that's okay. And that's good for me because I want to be in a business where I don't have a lot of competition, right? So – most people that graduate law school snub their nose at traffic tickets and traffic law 
don't have any interest in it. Uh, so that's one aspect. The other aspect is that it's a volume practice. I like to say you need to make a lot of crumbs to make a meal. And as a result, unless you really focus and want to be dedicated to this area of the law, you're not really going to be able to compete or do this law profitably because you really need to be in court going to do four or five cases at a time or more as opposed to, uh, you know, taking one-offs here and there. So you had uh, those two aspects. Plus, as I mentioned, my roots and my, my heart was always in running a business. And I saw that traffic ticket law could be made into a business as opposed to a professional service. So, for instance, if you're doing commercial litigation and you're involved with a case for many years and it's very complicated, a lot of documents, you really can't just hand that off to someone else very easily. But because traffic tickets are kind of fungible, right, it's the the name, the court, the charge, and pretty much the attorney who you assign that case knows what to do once they have that basic information, you have this fungible type of law or legal service you can provide. So I saw that this was scalable, which is unique within the professional service world, whether it's legal, dentist, accounting, whatever professional service is involved. This was a kind of a unique way for me to build and grow a business, not have a job, but actually a business. And so those are the reasons I gravitated towards it. That's so interesting. It, it, it really is. I, I find um, when talking to entrepreneurs that the, the ability to identify the differentiation that they can get in the industry makes makes all the difference to scaling down the line and, 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 and building a business, which which you have definitely, definitely done. I want I to talk add, a little bit add, about... David, I, yeah. I could add a few more um, great things about this type of law. Hopefully I don't encourage competitors, but, you know, we have 6,000 clients. If one client is unhappy with us, and of course we want all our clients happy, but if someone's unhappy and they leave... Well, our business isn't going to suffer because it's just one small percent of what we do. So we're not beholden to any one big client. Uh, if we, if we uh, do mess up, which, which is rare, and we're honest with people, if we do, well, it's only a ticket, right? We haven't jeopardized a multimillion-dollar litigation. So the stress level is a lot lower. And, you know, when you win for someone a ticket, people get really excited and more so than other great things that happen to them. You know, you could have a great meal at a restaurant and if you win a ticket, you're more happy about your ticket than this great meal you had. So we have, as a result, a lot of raving fans because we have done great work for them and they passed the word. And so um, most of our business comes from word of mouth, believe it or not. That's, that's exactly right. And, and, um, what what are some of the things that I, I guess uh, I dive a little bit in a, di- a different direction, um, but all based off of this? What what are some of the the wildest things that that you've dealt with in in the traffic law uh, field? If you want to share, yeah, of course. Uh, without disclosing any names, you know we've had some really bad drivers who've gotten multiple tickets. We had a guy, he had a ticket that was 110 miles an hour. And he was on the Loop Parkway, if you know Nassau County in Long Island, which is near Jones Beach. And he met me in court because the judge wanted to uh, give him 15 days in jail. 
because it was such an excessive speed. And, you know, he, he, he comes in, and I'm talking to him, and he interrupts. He says, Matt, I was not going 110. And by the way, he was in a Porsche Turbo Carrera. And I, I said, okay, I understand you weren't going 110, but let me just ask you my questions. So I started again, and he interrupted again. Matt, you know what I said? I was not going 110 miles an hour. The cop was wrong. I, so finally, I'm like, okay, tell me your story, and then I figure I'll get to my questions after. So he says, yeah, Matt, I was not going 110. I was going like 135. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's not a good defense. How is that going to help you? He thought because the officer gave him less miles per hour that he somehow was going to win this excessive speed ticket. We had another client who came in. We had another client who came and hired us for a, a speeding ticket upstate. And at the very end, after he paid us and hired us, he said, now, can I get in more trouble if I, you know, fight this ticket? So my little antennas went up because I thought that was an unusual question, and I felt like there was something he hadn't told us. And so I said, well, can you tell us why you think that? Is there something I should know about this stop that's unusual? He says, well, I was naked at the time. I said, what? He says, yeah, I was naked at the time. So I said, well, you could have been charged with indecent exposure, but you weren't. I doubt they would at this point. And, of course, for the rest of that case, until it was over, every time he would contact us, that client was known as Naked Guy. <laughs> that, that's hilarious. That is, that is two, two great stories. Um, you know, what you built with tremendous success being an entrepreneur and then going and working with the entrepreneur organization and, you know, being a forum chair in the South Florida chapter, um, you know, ha- having worked with you uh, when you were over with, uh, you know, with New York for the Super Bowl, um, the Super Bowl gig that we, we had, you had put together. Tell me about what you enjoy about working with other entrepreneurs and, and helping other entrepreneurs uh, to become more successful. So you did mention the Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, which is a worldwide group that has chapters in almost every major city and 50-plus countries. And that's how David and I met because we were both members. And what's unique about EO is that you have business owners from all types of industry, whether it's manufacturing, retail, e-tail, e-commerce, professional services. And so you have all these different pe- businesses, different owners, different backgrounds coming together, but yet we have the same common problems, which is customer service, marketing, sales. So now we're sharing with one another because we're in different industries, so we're not competing. We have these common issues, and we're learning from one another and cross-pollinating among these different industries. So it's a great network to have this peer-to-peer learning. And in fact, the event that David and I worked on which, which was the business of uh, the Super Bowl, was a full-day event, and we got all kinds of speakers to talk about the business of Super Bowl because the Super Bowl had been, was in MetLife Stadium uh, in New Jersey that year. And we felt like people would be interested in that, and, of course, hearing from players and GMs, but also learning about that industry and seeing what ideas they can import into their industry. But beyond that, EO provides all kinds of expert learning events, speakers of all types. And so as a member, 
I learned so much about running a business. That MBA that I told you I never got, I actually got a real street level take home value MBA through EO by attending different events and uh, different peer to peer opportunities and learning from other business owners how they run their business. And as a result, through the years, I realized that I needed to get myself out of the day to day, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, but actually work on my business, not in my business. So I started working on systems and practices and policies and big level, high level stuff and slowly got myself out of the day-to-day stuff. So I stopped going to traffic court. Then I stopped working with people that called with uh, questions. I would train people to answer most of the questions and fill in only as needed. So through those years, I was able to get myself out of that day-to-day operations and free up some time for me. So I ended up volunteering and becoming on the board as a volunteer uh, organization and worked on various roles, including president of the New York chapter for two years. And then when I finished doing that, I figured I needed something new, something different. And I heard this amazing story, as David mentioned at the outset, about this 9-11 hero named Wells Crowther. And I was just blown away. I wasn't looking to make a movie. I didn't have a bucket list item to make a movie. But when I heard the story about Wells, three things came to my head in quick succession. I said, what an amazing story. Everybody needs to hear the story. I want to share the story with everyone. So while there are filmmakers that look for stories, this was a story that found a filmmaker. And because I had the confidence through building my other business and and knowing that I could handle big projects and work with experts and quarterback this, I just took it on. And I, without having read a book on movie making, without having taken a class on movie making, I said, I'm making a movie. And so... For the last few years, I've been working on that, and it's just about done, and we're hoping to have it released next year. And, and I happen to have seen the uh, original sneak preview with, which was, I believe, last year, and I, I, I was overwhelmed with it. An interesting story, um, I, I had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, when I first came out of my MBA program, I went to work in corporate. I worked for actually dot-com uh, development firm, and one, but one of our big clients was Kenner Fitzgerald. So when you came out with that story, I had already obviously experienced um, – it was one of the things that motivated me to become an entrepreneur and basically like sealed the deal that it was time for me to do something uh, with my life that I could have a greater impact, which for me was going into – the sports industry and, 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 you know, going back to, you know, my roots um, and, and, and helping other kids uh, get the chance that, that I had. Um, but it was, it was the fact that so many people that I had done business with obviously lost their lives and, um, you know, with 9-11. And one of the things I always say is that uh, people all over the country understand and maybe the world understand what 9-11 was, but people who were in the New York area or had people in those buildings, my cousin got out, you know, two minutes before one of the buildings came down. Uh, they They really understand the impact and it changed their lives in such significant ways, uh, profound ways that um, I think in, in, in the world we are today, those people have, a lot of those people have taken 
that experience and, and help them to do actually great things. A sad, tragic experience changed a lot of people's lives and woke people up to, to do something more with their lives so that, that they do have. And I think you've done that with, 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 with your movie. And I, ha- I've been, I was at the Boston College game, Wells Crowd the other day. This was, I believe, my first year, because uh, I own an NFL agency now, and my first year at the agency we were recruiting players. I happened to go to that game, um, and they were playing. Who were they playing? I can't remember who they were playing that day. USC. But I was USC. There. Yeah, USA, Correct. It was USA. That's exactly right. It was USA. And I was actually at that game, which was a wow. great game. USC had uh, some first-rounders there, and, and Boston College, they have a bunch of players on the team that I work with through my, my camps and programs. And um, So I went to, went to watch the game, a couple of reasons, because I knew, obviously, a lot of the kids. And then, number two, I was looking at players from an AC standpoint. So when you came out with that movie and uh, – I, and we're doing it. I just knew I had to go and see it, and it was it, uh, the preview, and it was it was amazing uh, uh, watching the fir- first iteration of it. So that my long-winded approach to telling this backdrop is, um, uh, what is it about Wells Crowther's story that it moved you to say, you know, I've got to put everything on hold and and develop. A, a movie on, on him? Well, it's all connected to a piece of fabric, a red bandana. And to me, that's what makes this story so special. Wells was 24. He was an equity trader. And he worked on the 104th floor of the South Tower. He actually worked for a company called Sandler O'Neill and Partners, which was a competitor of your former company, Cancer Fitzgerald. So this equity trader was below the site of where the plane hit, United Airlines Flight 175 hit uh, between 77 and 84, and Wells was on 104. He calls his mom and he leaves a voicemail, and he says, Mom, I'm okay. I just want you to know I'll call you when I get out. And then, of course, the towers came down, and actually Jeff, Wells' father, saw the towers come down, knew his son was in the building, and fell to his knees and said, Lord, take me take me in his stead and your heart can't help but break for this father when he says that on film and you see him uh, with his cracking voice you know reliving this amazing and heart-wrenching experience so parents have no idea what happened to Wells because you know they couldn't they didn't hear from him so minutes hours days go by and eventually they realize that he didn't make it and so they have a funeral for him about 30 days later, and there was no body. There was no, no body to respect because they hadn't recovered him. The story takes an amazing turn eight months later. So now we're in May 2002, and on May 26th, the New York Times published an article called Fighting uh, uh, as the Towers Fell, Fight, Fighting for uh, Life as the Towers Fell. And in that article were two women who both said they were saved led up and out by a man who had a red bandana on his face. And when Allison, Wells' mother, read that, she knew instantly that had to be her son. You see, Wells always carried a red bandana. From the age of eight, it was this habit he got into. His friends would tease him about it, uh, but he didn't care. He always had it. He would wear it under his helmet when he played lacrosse at Boston College. He's a Division I athlete. 
he wore, he had to clean up spills or whatever. It was just this thing, this signature item. So Allison sends photos of both these women in the article to confirm that this was her son, and they both positively ID'd him from a photo that she had sent them. And they told him, that was, that was the man that saved me, your son's a hero. And these women came to Allison and Jeff's house for a barbecue, and they talked about what happened that day. And through their accounts and the New, Times, the New York Times article, in large part, Wells' family was able to piece together the last hour of his life, his finest hour. He put out fires, extricated people that were trapped. He actually carried a woman down on his shoulder 17 flights from 78 to 61, put her down, went back up, let another group down, went back up again, and then ultimately uh, was, was in, in the lobby. So he was just with the feet of getting out of the building. So he went up and down three times. We know he saved at least 10 people. And then he's in the lobby, and they found him with a group of firefighters. And they realized, because one of the firefighters had reported that they were going up with the jaws of life to help more people on 78 where Wells was or had been and realized that Wells was going back up with this group of firefighters you could get. So you can imagine this poor family, you know, they're, they're, they, they're devastated. They lose their only son and they still cry for him every day. But because of this piece of fabric, this bandana, their whole perspective on their lost ships. And now they um, look at it very differently. They're meeting people that are thanking them for raising this amazing young man. And so um, it's just an amazing story, all connected to this red bandana. Well, when interviewing the parents, did they uh, give you any clue that Wells had this kind of heroic uh, trait in him, you know, to, to do something, basically knowing that more than likely doing all these things instead of figuring out a way to maybe help himself, but helping all the others more than likely would lead to, you know, his eventual death um, in 9-11. Was there something that his parents thought was, you know, that he had, that he always displayed, that had that heroic trait in him? Uh, it's a great question, David. And, and to be honest with you, not only his family, but his friends as well all said that it was not surprising. You know, a couple were mad at him that he didn't get out. They wanted him to get out, but they, they, they knew Wells to be one to think of others first. And um, Honor, which Wells' sister, during uh, her eulogy for her, her brother, she talked about a story about when she, uh, she had scored three goals in a Boston College lacrosse game because she was a couple years behind him, but also a lacrosse player. And uh, Wells had lost his game earlier that day, but he was happier for her to have scored those three go- goals and have won than if he had scored those goals because that's how he was. That's what his essence was. It was about giving. It was about others. So uh, it was totally within his character to just do help others and, and do uh, what he could that day. It's amazing. Um, becoming a movie producer, I mean, uh, you know, you mentioned that it was obviously the story moved you to become the person producing that movie. 
but what was the experience like in 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 making a movie? Or your, it's ongoing, obviously, but in 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 making the movie, what was that experience like? And what were some of the things that you know you you could share with our listeners that someone wants to do something like this down the line? You know, what, what would be some of the do's and don'ts? Sure. So it's been a great, great journey. I've met so many great people and had so many amazing experiences, once-in-a-lifetime opportunities that I, will ne- I would never have but for the fact that I was, you know, involved with this project. And, you know, just working with Wells' family and parents and hearing what they've done. So they created a trust, the Wells Crowder, a charitable trust, and they've raised over a million dollars and that money goes to worthwhile causes and other students that kind of exemplify or personify the values that Wells has um, uh, shown or, or showed. And they have different events like the Red Bandana football game you mentioned. There's a Red Bandana hockey game. There's a golf outing. In fact, this uh, weekend, October 15th, is the Red Bandana Run. It's a 5K at Boston College. And if any of your listeners are in the Boston area or want to take a road trip, I highly recommend it. It's unlike any other 5K you'll ever run. It has such energy, such great soul. And last year they had 1,400-plus runners outside the Boston Marathon. It's the largest run in the Boston area. And Wells' parents are always there and his sisters, and uh, they talk before um, the run uh, about what this means to them. So they've done such amazing stuff. Uh, and taking this evil act and this horrible tragedy that happened to their family and to the best that they could turn it into a positive experience, similar to what you were mentioning before. And so to, to work and get to know these people, it, they're just incredible. And then along the way, you know, we were able to get Gwen Paltrow to read my script, and she thought it was amazing, and she agreed to be the narrator. So I got to work with her, and you know, meet her and work with her, and she did an amazing job uh, on the narration. And as a side note, it's kind of funny because as a male writing the story, I always envision an A-list actor or act, you know, actor doing it, and I always envision a male because I'm a male and it's a male-dominated story. But when the opportunity presented that when Paltrow uh, would look at it, I jumped on it and really quickly it grew on me to have a female voice was just a perfect balance to um, to the story, you know, because it is very harsh, it is a tough topic and there are some very sad points in the film and having that female voice added this softness and balance that really I think augments the film so this, the, the, the journey has been amazing, it continues to be amazing, I mean another fun thing was just sitting in a huge room with a 90-foot screen and my sound effects guy and just adding sound effects. So when we're talking about Wells playing lacrosse and adding, you know, um, you know, cheery crowds or adding the sound of a buzzer. And it was just fun because I made this film and now we're adding the sound to it and making it even better with very subtle sound effects in the background or the way that the plane hits the building. When you see this film and you see the plane hit, you feel it, and you hear it, you've never heard 9-11 like this before, because my sound design guy did an amazing job, focused a lot of energy to get it right, and so that was fun, I mean, just just 
uh, just a great experience all around. I love movies. I love watching them. And then to be involved with making one is just incredible. It's to me amazing how uh, each thing that you do, you focus in on an area uh, that you, you could be successful in doing it and find that passion in it and, and then grow that opportunity from there. Um, are there are there principles that you kind of live by as far as as an entrepreneur and now as a movie producer that you, you know, find help you to be successful? Trust and respect. If you don't have that, I, you don't have anything. And, you know, the crowd has trusted me to get it right. And, you know, I took on this weighty responsibility. You know, their 24-year-old son got killed. And now this traffic lawyer who never made a film before has been given the opportunity and the privilege to tell the story of their son. So I had to get it right. I couldn't spare expense. I couldn't cut corners. I read the entire 9-11 commission report to make sure I got it all. I researched as extensively as I could, going to archives and libraries and looking for as much footage and information as I could uh, because I just had to get it right for them. So they trusted me, and I felt that responsibility to get it right. And so I think, to me, you start with that, and everything from there you build on. It's so simple, but yet so often, um, best word, I guess, would be overlooked. Trust and respect that people uh, bring that into everything they do. How do you go about your, your day? I, I, I'm really curious. Um, you know, what, what is, what is Matt, Matthew Weiss's day like, and, and uh, how do you approach your day? I mean, you, you accomplish so many things uh, over time and, and, and in your day. How do you approach uh, each day? Well, um, generally I wake up and take my kids to school, which is nice. I get to see them for a 15-minute ride to their uh, school. And then I try to do some hot yoga, if I can, get my exercise in. And then it, it, if I have appointments or meetings, you know, I, I'll attend those. But if not, I'm in my office emailing and writing and, um, you know, having telephone conversations on, on different projects or things I'm working on. Um, but I also, you know, try to enjoy myself and, and have great experiences, you know. I love to do things that I haven't done, push myself and... So, um, uh, you know, that's kind of the general framework. Do you do you um, utilize or feel that that things like yoga helps focus your mind? Um, do you or or is there you know like for me, I actually uh, the days that I actually get myself up at 4:30 in the morning, which I try to do as often as possible and start with my workout and go through my process has always somehow made my day as an entrepreneur a lot better. And, and uh, uh, I feel like I'm always more focused. Uh, I get more done um, and, and are better, you know, when I'm in meetings or, or, or in conversations or just running even a camp. Um, I've always felt there's better. Is there, is there things that help make you better in, in what you do? 
You know, it's funny because I, I feel like the, the yoga is obviously great exercise. There's cardio and there's the stretching, but it also has that mental reset. Not unlike what you're doing when you're working out, when you're in that flow and you're just doing your reps. You know, when you have an opportunity to quiet the mind and just get into a flow or a meditative state, that has been shown from doctors to actually make you healthier mentally. And so... Um, for me, the yoga has that meditative component and lets me reset, stay focused and grounded and be present. You know, how often are we thinking about where we're going or what we have to do or what went wrong with that last conversation as opposed to being right here, right where we are, present, feeling the sights, sounds, hearing, uh, textures, whatever is out there. How often are we really, really acutely present? And for me, the yoga helps me do that and that's an ongoing struggle because often you, you your mind could drift right but you try to bring yourself back to the present and be as mindful as you can as often as you can at least that's what i do yeah it's i think it's interesting how um you get yourself in a state and, and through focus and relaxation and, and just kind of sweating it off uh, that can get you in the, in the right mindset for your day um with respect to moving from New York to South Florida, and my guess is that you've been going to South Florida, you know, in, in winters as often as possible, and and uh, and maybe I'm wrong, testing the waters to see if you that was a place that you wanted to be. Uh, what made you change that that lifestyle uh, from living in New York and working in New York to to going down to South Florida? Uh, so it's years in the making, right? Getting my business at a point where it didn't need me at a day-to-day basis. And, you know, um, my, we have three kids, but my oldest, when she graduated high school, we felt the two others could make the move. You know, once you have kids in the school system, it's hard to disrupt them, pull them out, and have them start a new school. But because of the personalities of my two kids, I felt we could pull it off once my daughter graduated. So we came down here, looked around, found this brand new development, and we put a deposit down on a place, and we built a house. And uh, I can tell you the reasons are very simple. It's cleaner, greener, less stressful, better weather, lower taxes. So why not live in a place with all those benefits? If I could provide a better quality of life for myself and my family, why not do it? And, you know, I do miss my friends and family that are still in New York, but you know, they'll come to visit, I'll come to visit them. And overall, we're very, very happy with the booth. Very, very, very interesting stuff. I, I, I really, I, first of all, I want to thank you. You're always someone that I admired. Um, when I was in, in, in EO, um, you were always someone that was a, a, you know, a friendly face, someone that, you, you know, you always came over and said hello. And, and, and as you know, for, for people that, that join organizations for a first time, that gives them a sense of belonging. That sense of belonging is uh, is critical, and that um, made some great friends uh, out of EO. And, and I I always always remember you know you coming over and and just taking a, a second to introduce yourself, and and then obviously eventually get you know I got involved with uh, uh, the, the the Super Bowl event, so. I really just want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming on, and I think you've shared some amazing things uh, about business and life. And uh, I wish you really the very best, especially with your movie 
uh, and Thanks, David. to evolve. Thank, Thank you. you. My Have pleasure, a great David. Thank you. Take care. That was uh, Matthew Weiss, successful entrepreneur, uh, tremendous lawyer, built a tremendous law practice, tremendous movie that he made. I happened to see the uh, the preview of it with Gwyneth Paltrow as the uh, as the person that is doing the voiceover on most of the movie. Um, tremendous person. I've I've always had great respect for Ma- for Matthew Weiss. He's someone that uh, you can learn a lot from, not just uh, in business but in life and what's important. Uh, go see uh, his movie when it does officially come out. The Man in the Red Bandana. Uh, it's it's become his life's passion, and he does does unbelievably well by the Crowther family and Wells Crowther. And having been someone that uh, lives in the New York City area, was there during 9/11, that changed my life. Lucky enough to have my a cousin get out of there during 9/11. I, I truly appreciate everything in that story, and and helping the world that we are in today to understand and make sense. Uh, uh, of things that are most important. Once again, I want to thank everybody for being on the Success for Life podcast. Until next time, we did two great episodes uh, today. You can always check me out at NUC Football on iTunes. Uh, you can go and find the Success for Life podcast. This one should be up today under the NUC Media. Um, and then we'll also be on the Success for Life podcast. Uh, podcast iTunes site as well. Until next time, Successful Life Podcast, I'm David Schumann. Keep striving to be your very, very best every single day. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.